This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Tuesday night edition of the program. If you want to join the show, feel free. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And yesterday, if you were listening to this show live, we were um, getting the reactions uh, from folks all across the country, first in the nation reaction to the news coming in that um, Donaldus Magnus El Trompito, the 45th president of these United States, Donald J. Trump, had uh, won in a blowout, an absolute blowout. Um, I think um, he's made history, from what I understand. Nobody else has scored a victory in the Iowa caucuses like he did last night. And, and the haters are out, right? I think he scored 98 out of 99 counties, not quite pulling off a full Grassley. Uh, but uh, one vote shy of doing so. I mean, this is just remarkable. This is stuff history books are made of, right? And and it's funny because, you know, nobody likes Trump. Everybody hates Trump. It was 20 degrees below zero. He's a threat to democracy. He's KKK. He's, I mean, you name, we're, we're all KKK, right? Uh, it's just um, really, really something to, to watch and to see. And And it really, to me, it sheds light on the, 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 the same thing that's been going on, but it's it's growing, right? It's metastasizing, it's maturing. I remember election night 2016, and a friend of mine was at the Hilton uh, in Manhattan where Trump was having his victory party, and he said, hey, are you coming? And I said, no, I'm staying in. I don't know what this is going to look like tonight, and I'm not in the mood. And I didn't know. Right. Hillary Clinton was crying. Then John Podesta was out there saying, we don't know what's going on. We're on hold, blah, blah, blah. We're going to we're going to take a break. They had the, the whole glass ceiling filled inside of the Jacob Javits Convention Center in Manhattan. And they sent everybody home. Everybody was freaking out. It looked like uh, lots of things were happening. And then Trump wins Florida. And uh, I, I that was the moment for me. Right. Where I was like, man, I should have gone to the party. I was sitting on my couch, uh, just hanging out. I didn't work uh, that late at night. It was something like 1 a.m., I think, 1.30. And I was just watching uh, the news flipping back and forth between uh, CNN, MSNBC, I think, and Fox News at the time. And I remember uh, remember seeing, I think it was MSNBC, 
and there was a panel with a few people. Uh, Cenk Uger was there. Uh, he's from the Young Turks, and he had a show on, on MSNBC and probably still does. But I only knew who he was uh, because he had uh, been criticizing me uh, some years earlier. Um, and, and I was just like, oh, look at this guy. Here he is. And, uh, and, he was, and his face, he was just so uh, incredulous to what was going on. And they all were. And it was quite comical to me. And you've probably seen this video a thousand times on social media. But to me, it was just remarkable, this meltdown. And I was like, man, what a great day to be alive, watching the progressives and the libs just, you know, fall apart uh, like the snowflakes they are. And, and I just thought it was great because, you know, I had to deal with that when uh, Barack Obama had his huge victory. And I saw Obama for being a communist sympathizer that was a fake phony and fraud. And everybody hated me for thinking that of him. But hey, it is what it is, right? And everybody's like, wow, you're standing in the way of progress and history and these things, and we're voting for our first black president, and you're here criticizing him over politics. I was like, well, excuse me. I think he's, uh, he's a politician. Anyway, I remember the, those faces and that moment and, and how I felt watching that, and I loved that moment. And I remember saying, I've waited like a dozen years for this, right, since the Bush win. And it's not every day you got Republicans winning, you know? So anyway, uh, long story short, I saw some of those faces again last night, um, not on TV because I was on the radio, but because I have social media, people put videos on there and I was scrolling and I saw Rachel Maddow and she was just having a hard time explaining things. And look, to her credit, uh, I can sympathize. There are times where I get on this microphone tongue tied when I see some of the crazy things that Joe Biden or AOC all out crazy, uh, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, uh, when her or any of her squad friends that sometimes they do some crazy, crazy stuff that I'm just like, man, how did, how did they get away with this? How did they even come up with it? But last night was one of those moments for my team, right? And I said, man, that was cool. It was nice to see a victory and a blowout victory. A real, I mean, a real blowout victory. And I'm, I'm also really glad, honestly, that DeSantis came in second place because um, I think he's a rock star candidate. I mean, I think he's not shining through right now as a rock star candidate because He's up against the stiffest competition I think anybody could be up against. I do believe that there are certain people in, in life and in business and politics that are, I'm going to call them, I guess privately I would call them freaks of nature, right? Because they're just so unique. Uh, but I'll call them a force of nature. And I think Trump is one of those. And there's people in this radio business as well that I know that are, that are forces of nature. Um, you'll never see another one like them. They're just a ball of energy with intellect, integrity, passion, right? And, and Trump is one of these people, uh, in my opinion. Hard to keep up with the guy, right? And he's always been that guy. Uh, I just, I guess I've grown up watching Trump succeed and fail and succeed. And, and uh, to see it happen at the national level is pretty cool. Anyway, long story short, um, they were melting down. These folks were melting down last night. And Lawrence O'Donnell, He's on MSNBC last night, and he says Nikki Haley can't win because Republicans believe her blood is poisoned. Check this out. CBS poll, of their final poll before the Iowa caucus, this is a national poll, shows that 81% of Republican primary voters and caucus participants, 81% of those people agree with Donald Trump that immigrants are poisoning the blood of this country. That means that 81% of 
of the Republican primary electorate believe Nikki Haley has poisoned blood and is poisoning the blood of the United States. So that as a roadblock for Nikki Haley is impossible, but it also shows you what you're up against in any kind of campaign against voters like that. The the convertibility of voters like that to anything other than the Trump view of the world is impossible. (laughs) That's Lawrence O'Donnell. And again, when you look at a statement like this, right, uh, and he, he's making a statement that I'm, I'm not going to necessarily disagree with because there are people like this. I don't think that it's 81 percent of Republican primary and caucus voters um, that immigrants are poisoning the blood of this country. I think that's a little outlandish. But there are people that I've met, I've spoken with on the, not on this program, but on other radio programs I've hosted where they uh, where they, they say, look, it's the browning of America that's ruining the country. Multiculturalism is ruining America. There's a lot of people that believe that. Um, I believe that unchecked illegal immigration, especially when um, we look at what Biden's doing, a massive transfer of humanity from different places around the world into this country, um, is a threat to our society. It's a threat to our national security. It's a threat to our way of life, for sure. All of that's true. Uh, but I don't believe that it's uh, poisoning the blood of the country, right? I don't believe, I've always believed that this was a country started by white men, in particular straight right white men, most of them Christians uh, in many ways, right? Deists, uh, uh, different forms of, of uh, followers of Christ in, in one way or another. Um, and and that's still the case, right? I think the majority of, of people still are, are white people that are Christians in this country. That doesn't shock me that back in the, the uh, 1600s, 1700s, and today, that they're still the majority. Now, of course, we've seen the trends that things are changing. But I don't think that's a bad thing, and I don't think it's poisoning. I think that, that, is, that there are some people that believe that to be true. Some of them are conservative, some of them are Republicans, some of them are Democrats, some of them are whatever. I think you've got bigots all over the place. But that's not 81% of Republican primary voters in Iowa. Or as uh, Joy Reid later says... Uh, that Iowa's overrepresented by white Christians, and it's a hyper-evangelical state. And she's going to eat those words in other states where Trump is going to win. So anyway, we're going to continue to do some, uh, some post-caucus uh, analysis and, uh, and get some weigh-in on that. We're also going to find out what's going on with the Houthis, the Houthi rebels, and uh, how they're getting spanked. Lloyd Austin's back home, Secretary of State, so now he can uh, direct those, uh, those strikes, uh, hopefully from his office or from somewhere more secure than a hospital. I'm glad he's back. And uh, we got a couple other things. Uh, interesting thing that's going on across the country. Ministers are quitting in mass, it seems, from their jobs at churches. Um, some say burnout, some say something else. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. I also want to talk about a couple of other topics, and I want to invite you to weigh in if you uh, have something to say on any of these topics. And, of course, we got Open Phone America coming up. Uh, in the final and third hour of the program. So uh, here's the number, 833-482-5337, Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America 
At Night with Rich Valdez. And I think to the point that you made, Steph, I mean, it's the elephant in the room. She's still a brown lady that's got to try to win in a party that is deeply anti-immigrant and which accepts the notion that you can say immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. She's getting, you know, birthered by Donald Trump. Um, and I don't care how much the donor class likes her, which will yeah. ramp up a lot, the better yeah. she does in New yes. Hampshire. So it's still a challenge. I don't see how she becomes the nominee of that party with Donald Trump still around. I can't picture it happening. Maybe it could happen. Ron DeSantis' only argument for staying in it is he's the white guy that he can still make the appeal to white people. Of course, that's Joy Reid on MSNBC saying Nikki, Nikki Haley doesn't stand a chance of getting the nomination because she's a brown woman. And brown people, of course, you know, if you're Middle Eastern, if you're uh, South Asian, if you're Hispanic, n- no shot at any success in the conservative movement, which, of course, I think is uh, uh, a lot of BS. But that, that's what they're talking about, the poisoning of the blood of America. Now, and being anti-immigrant, what I think is so fascinating about this is Trump literally ran a campaign where he said um, a lot of things. They twisted his words around. Most people believe that he said, you know, Mexico's sending us their, their uh, that the Mexicans are rapists and whatever and whatnot, right? When he was saying that they're sending us their worst. Either way, right? People believe that to be true. He then went on this endless campaign chanting, build a wall, build the wall. And immigration got him elected and here they are trying to hurt him with immigration when it's incredibly unchecked it's out of control and most people think it's a disaster anyway we're going to talk about the national security implications of that uh we're also going to talk about this um uh, massive victory and can nikki haley win can desantis win Uh, i personally think it's a it's a long shot but hey you can't count anybody out let's get some analysis from abraham hamaday abe hamaday is running for Congress in Arizona, and he's also a former Army intelligence officer, so he's going to weigh in a little bit later on uh, the Houthi rebels and the U.S. strikes uh, against them that were being conducted by Lloyd Austin from the hospital. Hopefully he's doing better now. Uh, Abe Hamaday, welcome back, sir. Thank you. Good to be with you, Rich. You bet. So yesterday, I think think I went into this um, looking at the glass pretty half full, thinking Trump was going to win. I had no idea he would win uh, 98 counties with uh, missing that 99th county by one vote. As I read earlier, I'm not sure if that's still accurate, but that's what I read. And 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 uh, the, the blowout victory of 51% in the Iowa caucuses and 20 below weather, uh, some sort of historic, uh, I think since 1988, we haven't seen anything like this. And back then it was only 12%. So, um, I want your reaction to that, being that you're running for Congress and you've been endorsed by President Trump and and your thoughts on the Iowa caucuses. Well, Rich, I think everybody witnessed the power of President Trump and the movement he's built. Uh, You look at Iowa, you know, he he didn't spend the most time there. He didn't spend the most money, yet Iowans overwhelmingly voted for him. And why is that? Because they recognize the successes of his administration, what he did in the four years he was there. So they're going to reward him. And I don't know why these other candidates, quite frankly, are spending hundreds of millions of dollars when so much is at stake next November. I mean, we have the Senate is needs to be flipped and we have, we have to make sure we keep the House. But all of this is happening. It's just such a foolish, uh, foolish time right now. So I'm really looking forward to moving past the primary. President Trump is going to be the nominee. 
The only people who don't want him to be the nominee are basically some media pundits and the candidates who are running against him and the consultants who are making money off of this. So I think the American people witnessed the, the strength of President Trump. And I think New Hampshire is going to be very good for him. And the other states, Nevada, he's up. I think he's at 70 percent nearly up there in South Carolina, which is Nikki Haley's home state. He's going to win overwhelmingly. And you go on to Super Tuesdays and win all the states. So I'm not sure what the strategy is for these other candidates. Um, you know, I, I hope it's not that they're wishing something for him to be in jail. I don't know. But to me, it seems like the only uh, reason why they're continuing to run. But President Trump is going to be our nominee and we have to get behind him quick, quickly, because Joe Biden and them, they have a massive war chest. I just read that Joe Biden has raised $100 million. And uh, so we're going to be going against the machine. We know the system is against President Trump. The media is against him. And uh, we need all the, the tools necessary to defeat the Marxists who have taken over our country. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. Uh, and and I, I love that this happened. I love it when the, the message is so strong from the people, right, that the, the, the pundits, the MSNBC crowd, uh, the real the, the, the hard left within the media, when they have no choice but to kind of melt down and squirm around and make up stories like uh, Joy Reid and uh, Larry O'Donnell were talking about uh, this, you know, um, the only reason that they don't win is because uh, is because they're brown or DeSantis is staying in because he's still a white evangelical that might have a shot. Uh, Joy Reid. And I have a clip of it. I'll play it when we come back from the break because we're almost up against the break. But I just uh, it's fascinating to me that this is the the. The approach. And again, this is business as usual, right? Why are you fascinated, Rich? I'll explain. Because I think that they tried to make the case that these people were just such evil, horrible, bad people. And and here I am, you know, uh, I'm a brown guy. You're a brown guy, right? There's so much diversity on the, the racist side of, of, of politics that they claim. It, it, to me, it just seems like it, I think this is falling on deaf ears. Yesterday and probably most days on this show, I talk about a video that Kara uh, Castronova put together on Newsmax TV where she interviewed random people on Fordham Road in the Bronx. They all happened to be black and maybe one Hispanic person. Every last one of them said, we miss Trump. We want Trump back. And half of them said, F Biden in a true New York fashion. And I think it, 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 if you're losing your base of, uh, of, of black and brown support, uh, where does that leave the Democrats? Eight holiday minute to you. Well, if you look at, you know, when we were watching the debates, over the last year, I think the Republican Party is probably the most diverse it's ever been. We had sure. Tim Scott, a black man from South Carolina. You had Vivek Ramaswamy, and, uh, you know, he's Indian, who's Hindu. Uh, you had Nikki Haley, who's also from India or a family from India. So if you look at the, the Democrats, they're just projecting at this point. I mean, the Republican Party, look at my race. I mean, I, here I am. I'm the son of Syrian immigrants with family from Venezuela, Rich, and we were able to win our race overwhelmingly, and now we're running again. I have the support of so many people and the endorsement of President Trump and Carrie Lake. So, you know, these people, they're just nasty, and uh, we know they're the true racists. Abe Hamaday, hold that thought. We're coming right back with Abraham Hamaday. He's running for Congress in Arizona, and he's no stranger to running in Arizona. Stick around. He's been endorsed by Trump, by Carrie Lake, and hopefully by you. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Again, the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not, if we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government, the leader who is trying to do that is part of that equation. Mm-hmm. But people wanting that Correct. is a yeah. much mm-hmm. bigger part mm-hmm. of that That's equation. Right. And the American electorate is made up of two major parties. One of those parties has been flirting with extremism on the ultra-right for a very long time. They've brought them in in a way that they haven't been central to Republican electoral politics ever before. And I know because I've been studying this. <laughs> That's Rachel Maddow. She's been studying the rise of extremism in one of America's major political parties, I would say that's the crazy left-wing communist sympathy that we see in the Democrat Party. But I'm sure she's referring to the Make America Great Again movement in the Republican Party. Abe Hamaday is our guest. Abe Hamaday, when you hear that, uh, what's your initial thought? Well, it's the same thing they said about me and Carrie Lake uh, when we were running uh, in 2022, they actually, mm. the LA Times, Los Angeles Times, they had a headline that said the most dangerous candidates running for office are in Arizona. They had, you know, me and Carrie Lake smiling photos. <laughs> and uh, you look at what's going on, you know, it's, it's quite, the irony is amazing. And the hypocrisy is on full display. Here, President Biden, Joe Biden, and the Democrats are trying to remove President Trump from the ballot. They're trying to, trying to take away our vote before even a vote is casted. I mean, think about how scary this is, Rich. And, you know, I talked about projection with the racism. These people are, these ones are the extremists. These Marxists have, are, are transforming our country so quickly. And they're, they're using, they're so masterful with their propaganda and their psyops that's happening. But, you know, the same way they've called me a white supremacist. They called Larry Elder, you know, the, the, the black face of white supremacy. This is what <laughs> they do to anybody who doesn't, follow their agenda. They go after them in such a nasty way. And it's because they're nasty people. But, uh, you know, if you look, America first Republicans, we are all about saving our country that we know is being, has been hijacked by these radical Marxists. And that's what they are. We have to start calling them out for what they intend to do to our country. They're trying to indoctrinate children. They're trying to mutilate children with genital mutilation. I mean, what's happening is so unusual. And that's why I think all of your listeners know you know, this November is really going to be about whether we save the America that we remember. And, you know, they've hijacked our country. We're on a rescue mission to save it. And that's why I'm honored, President Trump, you know, for all he's been put through. 
You know, they're going after him with how many indictments now, how many mm-hmm. trials, and we all see what they've done to our the, the rule of law in our country. So, uh, you know, Rachel Maddow, Joy Reid, all of these, you know, they're lunatics, quite frankly. We have to, you can't negotiate with them. They're totally indoctrinated with so much hate. And I think they have such hatred for our country and for what it stands for. So they see President Trump, they see Carrie Lake, they see myself, and they attack us, even with me, the son of immigrants, right? Something that I, you would think Democrats want to embrace, but it's not true. The only thing they embrace is conformity and Marxism. And, you know, I think the American people are waking up a lot faster than before, especially since Elon Musk purchased Twitter, now X, and you're seeing Tucker Carlson um, you know, on X. There's a lot more people uh, paying attention uh, that the information was so suppressed from the government and from these, the deep state Democrat uh, and the bureaucracy. So I'm actually a little bit more optimistic that and you, you mentioned it yourself uh, with that interview. In the, and I think you said the Bronx or in New York mm-hmm. City, where, you know, everybody's seeing the effects of how terrible these Democrats are. We're about to go into World War Three because of the Democrats and their appeasement towards Iran right now. So, you know, every everyday Americans are looking around and saying, what, how the hell did we get here? And Biden supposedly ran to make, you know, to try to get us back to normalcy. This does not look normal. You know, it's not knowing what gender you are. This is a recent phenomenon. And it's becoming accelerated, too, because I truly believe, I truly believe that we're being run by lunatics. And I, I think mm-hmm. every Americans are recognizing that right now. Abe Hamaday, I think you're spot on, and uh, you mentioned our appeasement towards Iran. I want to get into that in the next segment. I know you have a background as an intelligence officer for the U.S. Army. But before we do, I want to um, double down a little bit on your campaign. You're running for Congress in Arizona's 7th District. Uh, Carrie Lake, as you mentioned, you guys ran um, on a ticket together um, in, in the last election, and, and, and you gave them hell. You guys really did an amazing job. <laughs> And uh, you're, you're back at it. You're, you're running for Congress. She's running for the U.S. Senate. And um, we're on a few stations in Arizona. We just added KFNX, big station in Phoenix. Um, let let um, everybody that's listening know and everybody that may want to contribute to your campaign, um, just give them the, the Reader's Digest version of you know, why you're running, why it's important for you to be elected. You know, Rich, uh, I'm running in the Arizona's 8th Congressional District, but it's the uh... You know, same reason why I ran for attorney general. I was the youngest statewide candidate across the country. Uh, I got back from my deployment overseas, and I came to a country I no longer recognized. And I'm looking around, and I think the same people who got us into this mess aren't going to be the same ones who get us out of it. So I think right now we're at an existential point in our country where freedom itself is at stake. And if the flame of freedom is extinguished in America, it may be gone forever. And I really think the stakes are that high, especially with the weaponization of the rule of law, what you're seeing happening in the schools, what you're seeing happening uh, all across our country. Our southern border is being completely invaded with 300,000 people entering every single month. Ten million people have come across our southern border since Joe Biden took office. That's bigger than the state of Arizona, Rich. So, you know, all of this is happening. I believe it's intentional. I believe the, the Democrat Marxists are intentionally trying to destroy our country and now more than ever, Congress, Washington, we need courageous fighters who are willing to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. So that's why I'm running. My heart's in the right place. And I don't want to see I don't want to have to look in the future and say, did I do everything I could to stop this takeover? And I'm, I'm hopeful that when the history is down, that they will write down that, you know, 
we were the generation that saved America. So that's why I'm running, because I'm looking all around. I'm seeing chaos and collapse of everything, of our, our moral decay, of, of what, what should be the rule of law. And you're right. You know, Carrie Lake and I, we're still fighting our election lawsuits. And I don't know if your <laughs> listeners know, but we sub- I supposedly lost my attorney general race by 280 votes out of 2.5 wow. million, 280. And there's still 9,000 uncounted ballots. There's no accountability. We all saw what happened in Maricopa County in November 2022. So I just speak the truth, and I don't think you can go wrong by, by fighting for truth and justice. So that's why I'm running for Congress, because President Trump's going to need allies when he's, when he's back there to, to take on the deep state and to, to destroy them once and for all. You know, Abe Hamaday, uh, last night Larry Elder was on this program, and you mentioned him a few moments ago that uh, the L.A. Times called him the black face of white supremacy. And, and w- something he said, I said, you know, Larry Elder, I think, you, you know, you did an amazing job on the campaign trail, and I'd love to see you run again, run for governor, do something. Um, or, you know, or get back on the radio, because I really enjoyed his show. And, and he told me, he said, yeah, I'll run for something when you do. <laughs> he said, you do it first. Uh, he said it was an incredibly difficult task. And, and you're mentioning having to, to go through lawsuits from your last election to go to this. A lot of people think uh, the, the road of, of elected office and electoral politics is an easy road. Uh, I, I would submit to say it, it's, it's a young man's game. Uh, it can only be an old man's game if you've done it a bunch of times already and you're, you're, you know, there's no term limits. But it's not an easy game. It requires a lot of energy, and I think it puts your family through a lot. So I tip my hat to you. And uh, when we come back, I want you to give us a little bit of insight with your um, intelligence officer hat on, on the Houthis and everything else that's going on in the Middle East. Folks, we're on with Abe Hamaday. He's running for Congress in Arizona's 8th District. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. knocking out four ballistic missiles that we believe were prepped and ready to be launched from Yemen, uh, took them out before they could do that. So uh, we have said before, we'll say it again, we stand ready to defend our interests, our sailors, our ships, and that of merchant shipping um, as required. Um, we're not looking for a war. We're not looking to expand this. Uh, uh, Houthis have uh, a choice to make, uh, and uh, they still have time to make the right choice, which is to stop these reckless attacks. Of course, that's uh, former Admiral John Kirby on a press phone call announcing that uh, the strikes will continue and that the Houthis have a choice to make. Iran has a choice to make. President Biden has made similar comments, trying to talk tough, saying, you know what? Um, I've already told Iran what to do. They already know they're on notice. Yet things seem to be getting worse. Just last night while we were on the air, there was a report that a a U.S. owned ship was hit again. So um, and and this uh, retaliation comes again in response. My question here is, seems like we're like in an all-out war. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I want to get some insight from former intelligence officer Abe Hamaday, who's also running for Congress in Arizona's uh, 8th District. Abe, what's your thought here on what Admiral Kirby's saying? <laughs> well, the Biden administration, they really brought this on themselves. They brought so much of this chaos around the world because of their foolish policy. But for your listeners, I really want to you know, lay the groundwork of, sure. of how we got to this place where I was deployed to Saudi Arabia with the U.S. Army 
back in 2020 and 2021. So I served under under both President Trump and Biden. And when I was out there, we saw the Abraham Accords, a peace in the Middle East from Israel and the United Arab Emirates and, and so many other countries. And we also saw President Trump designate these Houthi terrorists as a terrorist organization. What happened when President Biden took office the, the next day, that same month, he, he decided to delist them as a terrorist organization, which mm-hmm. was quite fascinating, Rich, because I was in Saudi Arabia and the Houthis were still firing missiles at us. They were firing <laughs> missiles at us. They were fi- wow. firing missiles at, at Saudi Arabia, who is, uh, conducts air operations in Yemen. And the Biden administration pressured, put pressure on the Saudi Arabia to stop that aerial campaign against the Houthis. And then what happened in the following months and years since, you saw Biden give $6 billion to Iran. You're seeing this, how we're now not standing shoulder to shoulder with Israel. And I was actually one of the first people on October 17th, I called for the Biden administration to redesignate the Houthis as a terrorist organization the moment they started to fire missiles in the Red Sea toward Israel, our, our ally. And I predicted the situation would happen. And now we're seeing they're targeting global commerce. And for your listeners to know, what are the Houthis? You know, suddenly they just became, you know, a common term. Well, they're, they've been a terror organization in Yemen since the 90s, but they took power in a coup in, the, in 2014, I believe, and they effectively run Yemen. So they are a terrorist organization that runs a country. They're similar to the Taliban in Afghanistan. And oh, for wow. Biden to to delist them as a terrorist organization. I mean, it's such foolishness that we're seeing. So, you know, I I have no confidence right now in this administration. My heart goes out to all of our service members who are serving in the Middle East. And I know there's some missing sailors that I just, that was just um, posted uh, a few days ago. And there's been 130 attacks in the Middle East on U.S. service members since Mm -hmm. the horrific Hamas terror attacks against Israel. And, uh, you know, and just breaking now, I don't know if you know, Rich, I guess the Biden administration just decided tonight to relist the Houthis as a terrorist organization. Finally, it took them so long because, you know, the Democrats are always looking at optics and they don't want to look bad because they know what they did was a massive screw up. But they finally decided to, to relist them as a terrorist organization, which was the right call so we can limit their access to the global financial network. But this is uh, this has a possibility of you know, really spiraling out of control. The Houthis, back in 2019, they actually fired missiles at the Aramco oil facility in Saudi Arabia, which disrupted oil supply for quite a for quite a while. So, you know, they get all of their shipments from Iran. These missiles are very sophisticated. They're long range. They have a capability of hitting Israel. They go deep into Saudi Arabian territory. So, you know, Iran is the catalyst behind all of what's happening in the Middle East. And the Biden administration, I don't know why. It's very bizarre. You have to start you know, asking motives. But they seem to be appeasing Iran and alienating our allies like Israel, like Saudi Arabia. So it's very odd. But um, I'm also very concerned that these terror groups are using our wide open southern border to to put sleeper cells into our country. And not just them. You see China, China sending in their mm-hmm. spies as well. It, it, this is a recipe for disaster, Rich. And, you know, I, I don't know. You know, thank God I'm no longer in the, in the service. But, my gosh, I, I, I look at what's happening. I don't know. You know, the Marxists are running our country to the ground. And I think they're going to they're, they're ushering us into World War III. It's very scary. It is scary. And, and the, the question that always pops up for me is, 
why is Biden uh, making choices like this? Why does he delist uh, the Houthi rebels and then call them terrorists again? Why does he uh, appease Iran? Why does he make the choices he makes calling uh, Saudi Arabia a pariah state and then going hat in hand and begging? It seems like he makes these moves as if someone's pushing him to make those moves, an advisor, someone with leverage, who knows? And then he makes this move and then he, you know, it's like common sense kicks in for him. And he goes, you know, this is a very bad political move. I have to retract this. And he goes backwards. And and I don't know if that's just typical politics for him, uh, but it, it it seems odd to me. And I can't put my finger on why. No, we can't. But I think we know who's really running the White House. And I think it's Barack Obama and a lot of his loyalists. You had Valerie Jarrett, who has been there. And you had Susan Rice, who was the domestic policy advisor. You have Anthony Blinken, who's the secretary of state. All of these are Obama uh, holdovers. So that's what's happening. This is Obama's third term. And we all know Obama was the most radical Marxist president that we've ever had. And I believe that they have a deep hatred for our country. I don't, you can't justify what they're doing as, as, as policies that the United States are our allies. So, you know, I think we just have to call it for what it is. This is deeply un-American. Uh, I think you're looking at the Democrat Party, especially the response after the Hamas terrorist attacks. You see Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Cori Bush, so much of the Democrats are basically espousing Hamas propaganda. And um, it's scary. And we have anti-American uh, Marxists who are serving in the halls of Congress. That's what's at stake, Rich. It's terrifying. The Marxists aren't at the gate. They've stormed the castle and they've taken over our government. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm saying to rescue the America that we love, because I don't know how long we can survive with an open border, with, with our military in total disarray, focusing on DEI and, and all this nonsense. I agree so, with you. you know, there's a lot at stake right now, Rich. Abe Hamaday, let everybody know how they can support your campaign and keep up to speed with the amazing work that you're doing. Absolutely. We're going up against the machine, so I'd appreciate all the support. They can go to my website at abe4az.com, A-B-E-F-O-R-A-Z.com, and they can follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Abraham Hamaday. Outstanding. Well, brother, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Godspeed to you. Good luck with your election, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Rich. You bet. All right, America, we're coming right back. Your calls and more analysis don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, familia. Now, amigos, I want to share something with you I learned in politics a long time ago, and that is a saying. It goes like this. It's always about the money, and when it's not about the money, it's about the money. Always remember that. Always follow the money. Now, uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Champaign, Illinois, W-S-O-Y. Check in with Brad. Brad, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. I, I want to go back to the immigration thing. Um, sure. These people like like Joy Reid and Rachel Mondau are so tone deaf. Uh, Trump is married to an immigrant. So yeah. they always leave out the word illegal uh, when talking about immigrants. It just drives me nuts. Uh, 
because I saw Trump's rally on YouTube about the poisoning of blood thing. Uh, he was, I think, talking about the, the fentanyl. He was talking about fentanyl pouring across sure. the, the mentally the mentally ill they're sending, the criminals and all that. And people, Americans don't understand because we would never send people like that, all our problems to another country. But I've been to the third world, and they, these governments don't operate like our government. They would send – if they see the chance to get rid of these people, they don't They're want all these it. problems. Yeah, good point, Brad. I think you're spot on. We're poisoning America with fentanyl and with bad thinking, not with immigrants. hundred uh, percent, I agree with you. Uh, illegal immigration is a problem, and they take Trump out of context, uh, out of context each and every time. Brad, big shout out to you and everybody listening in Illinois. W S O Y, folks. Hour number two coming right up. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome back to the program, hour number two. It's Tuesday night. If you want to join our conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And again, an update on what happened yesterday in the Iowa caucuses. Uh, former President Donald Trump won a historic 98 of 99 counties in Iowa, losing only one county by one single vote. <laughs> How about that? And uh, the Supreme Court has declined to take up a transgender bathroom case. Good. I think that's pretty clear, right? <laughs> uh, Hunter Biden, uh, the contempt vote has been paused. So as we have updates on that, we'll bring it back. Nikki Haley says no more presidential debates unless Donald Trump joins in. Taking a page out of El Trumpito's playbook, she figured out you'd do better if you don't show up. Biden's uh, climate agenda is imploding. We'll, probably, we'll have somebody on to talk about the latest on the climate agenda, uh, probably uh, tomorrow or the next day. And Asa Hutchinson, he's a Republican. He was running for president. He dropped out of the GOP primary. I know most people didn't even know he was running, but that happened. <clears throat> and the story I want to get to now is one that uh, I think is interesting to me because... It's always important to have discussion, to have debate, to have dialogue. The national discourse, I think, is one of the most important things we have in our constitutional republic. And I want to get to the bottom of a story that, honestly, I'm not sure exactly the angle of the story. Uh, I just know that the National Speech and Debate Association was hit with a federal civil rights complaint uh, over what I understand it to be anti-white discrimination. And... Uh, we've got the head of Incubate Debate, James Fishback, with us to help us understand a little bit more. James Fishback, welcome. Well, real pleasure to 
be here, Rich. Real pleasure. Likewise, sir. So help us understand what's going on. Tell us a little bit about what the National Speech and Debate Association does and and why they've been hit with this civil rights complaint. Absolutely. The, the National Speech and Debate Association, it goes by the term NSDA. Rich, they're effectively the NCAA of high school debate. For the last mm. hundred years, they've been the governing body. They set the rules. They decide the topics. They organize and crown the national championship tournament. And so I was part of this organization in high school 15 years ago. It changed my life. After college, I was a coach in the NSDA at a low-income high school not too far from where I grew up in South Florida. Debate is amazing. Open discourse, free speech is key to what is so special about this country. But the NSDA has, like a lot of institutions in this country, been hijacked by this far-left ideology that has been punishing students for what and most discriminated and allowed the discrimination of students based on the color of uh, James Fishback, your, your phone is cutting in and out. I'm not sure if you're in a vehicle that's moving or on an airplane or something like that, but uh, you're, you're chopping in and out. We're going to try and get the, um, the phone line fixed for you. But uh, I get the gist of it. And I remember seeing <clears throat> something that you posted online back in November uh, where there was a, a debate amongst high schoolers, uh, like a Zoom call with several people on it, one, two, three, four, five, six, as I'm looking at it. And the one girl, I think she, she looked Indian to me or of Indian descent, South uh, Asian. Uh, and she made the case that, um, you know, if you're if you have a white debater on your team, you're, you're inherently uh, racist, right? You, you have more whiteness than us. <clears throat> and, and I thought that was crazy because <laughs> it was just fascinating to me that the uh, the moderators and whatnot were were really um, kind of allowing this type of discussion to go on. And again, I think you need discussion, uh, but it just seemed like a, a mean spirited discussion that had no positive end to it. So who brought this lawsuit uh, against the NSDA? Was it the students? Was it a particular school? And where does it stand today? So we just filed this lawsuit in partnership with Mountain States Legal Foundation out of Colorado. And we went directly to the U.S. Department of Education to file this civil rights complaint. It's pretty clear cut. Title VI and Title IX of the Civil Rights Act makes clear that federally funded activities are not allowed to discriminate in any way, shape, or form on the basis of race. And so the NSDA, Rich, they have judges who are telling students in their own words that if you are white, you cannot talk about how issues affect black people. If you are white, you must hand over your evidence to your black competitor, accept that competitive disadvantage in the name of equity. And mm. so this flies in the face of everything that we know high school debate to be, which was supposed to be meritocracy. It also happens to be illegal. And so we've brought this <laughs> complaint. And to tell you the truth, I'm a, I'm a competitor to the NSDA. I launched this no-cost alternative because I was a debate coach, and I was so disheartened to see my students be hurt in this way. I had an all-black team uh, down in South Florida, and I remember my first tournament with a, with a young black man. He went in there, and he made the mistake 
of criticizing BLM. And for that, the judge afterwards said, you know, you would have won the debate had you not criticized Black Lives Matter. Wow. And so ever since that moment, Rich, I've been trying to build an alternative. I'm proud to say that we have it now with 5,000 active students in three states called Incubate Debate. Despite the fact that we're a competitor to the NSDA, I'm not going to stand idly by and let them discriminate against white students, against Asian, against Jewish students, because that is wrong and that is un-American. So we had to file this federal civil rights complaint. We'll go through the motions, but we've made a pretty, pretty clear stance to the NSDA now. Yeah, it seems to me, James Fishback, as I look at this stuff, um, every day I, I hear from somebody else in a different sliver of society that is being affected by this radical wokeism, right? That th- this idea that y- you're the racist if you're, I don't know, of a particular uh, um, race. And it, it just, it, it's astonishing, even in debate, right? I, you would think that in debate, there should be something to debate about, right? We could, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's have an argument yeah, let's about do it. it. L- let's definitely not uh, just say, no, 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 you can't do that because uh, in the name of equity, you've got to, you know, take a pass or whatever the case was. And, and I think this is just so uh, insane to me, the fact that we see it in schools. We're seeing schools lower their standards. We're seeing um, the argument being made that, um, you know, s- certain um, people of certain backgrounds are more susceptible to things like ADHD, this, that, and the other. So we're going to do away with uh, showing up to school on time or passing tests or s- certain standards that they have academically. And, and, and I think while there may be um, some truth to some of these things, I don't think you change the standards, right? That's always, there's always been special ed. There's always been people that were at one disadvantage or another, and we didn't necessarily change the standards. Uh, but now it seems like that's the new thing is let's change the standards for everybody because everybody's somehow oppressed. How did, how did we get here and how do we get out? That's the, that's the million-dollar question, Rich. What you're talking about has become so pervasive. You think about school districts in California getting rid of math literacy exams because they disproportionately had black students who were failing them. And so instead of having this awkward conversation about why is black math literacy so low, we just abolish that entire measurement, that entire examination in the name, again, of equity and inclusivity. That's really, really troubling. And so for me, Rich, what we've got to do is we've got to get back to meritocracy. We've got to get back to this idea that if there is a problem, there's no question about it. Black literacy rates are low. Uh, Tiffany Justice, the founder of Moms for Liberty, had this tweet out the other day. 82% of fourth graders who are black are not reading at grade level. 82% rich. And so let's have an honest conversation about why that is. I'll give you the spoiler right now. It's not because of systemic racism. It might have something to do with the fact that 70% of black children are growing up in a single parent household, that single parent households are disadvantaged in so many ways, not least academically. And so the, the core of this rot is so much bigger than just black kids fail in a reading test. It's the societal positions that have ended us up in this place. And so what I'm afraid of is that if we continue going down this rabbit hole, we will have abolished all sense of meritocracy and we'll end up with people who are in 
positions who never deserve to be there. And by the way, that's not good for the customers. That's not good for the people they serve. That's not good for them, the people who would benefit from this system. It doesn't help anyone to cheat a black kid and say, you know what? You're actually really good at math and he's not good at math or an American Indian student to say, you're really good at X, Y, Z, and you're not really good because you're giving them this false sense. You are lying to them. It's a noble lie, but it's a lie. And, and that is wrong. That hurts them. That's a disservice to them and to the country they will soon inherit. Yeah, listen, I think you're, you're spot on here, uh, James Fishback, uh, because and honestly, the, the stats you're giving me with the uh, third graders or fourth graders not being at reading level, this is not exclusive to black kids. They may be leading the pack. But um, since COVID, we've seen this across the board with almost everybody because of uh, at home learning or remote learning, et cetera. And and this has been this is not a new problem. This is a decades long problem. I've been in education reform for some years, and it's been a problem that many school districts have been trying to manage. And you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the um, socioeconomic background of the family. And and, and that's really and also educational attainment. Right. Some students um, have there was a boom, for example, there was a boom in educational attainment at the post-secondary and college level in the early 2000s for Hispanics in particular. Uh, They went from being 2% of Hispanics earning bachelor's degrees to going to some, I don't know, some exponential number that that we have today where it's not quite that of uh, their white counterparts, but it's definitely way higher than it was 20-something years ago. And when you look at that, that makes a difference now that you have college-educated parents uh, raising their kids versus non-college educated parents raising their kids in the school system. Uh, all of that matters. And and uh, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's incredibly damaging to a student, to a scholar, to a child uh, to tell them, hey, because you're this, you know, you're Hispanic, you're black, you're Asian, you're whatever, uh, you can't do this when we're doing it in the name of equality or what they call equity. Uh, I think that's absolutely outrageous. Uh, James Fishback, um, don't move a muscle. Stick with us. I want to learn a little bit more about Incubate Debate and how people can uh, get involved and learn a little bit more about it. And, folks, your calls are uh, welcome if you want to weigh in on this topic, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez here. We're having a conversation with James Fishback. He's the head, the founder of Incubate Debate, which he started because he was working with the National Speech and Debate Association, the NSDA, and they uh, changed the rules of the game. So he decided to sue them and start his own deal. And he's out there uh, serving the interests of students in the name of meritocracy. 
which to me is the ultimate um, key to diversity, right? The ultimate key to uh, inclusion and equality is to to treat people um, meritoriously. You earn it and you get it. Uh, James Fishback, I want to um, help everybody understand a little bit about incubate debate. How uh, what I'm guessing you, you figured, let me start a platform that's fair like the NSDA once was. Uh, would I be right in that assumption or wrong? How did it go? That's exactly right. My hope was to restore high school debate to a merit-based system. And I'll tell you, Rich, when you've got judges on the record, in their own words, telling students, quote, if you want to make conservative arguments, be careful, or I will disqualify you if you make America first arguments, that's not debate, Rich. A debate can't end. Can't it's censorship. A debate can't end before a student has had a chance to even utter a word. And so, look, I'm an unapologetic conservative, but when I'm a debate judge and the students make an pro-choice argument or, heaven forbid, a defund the police argument, as much as I vehemently disagree with that, if that student comes armed with more evidence, more logic, and more reasoning than their opponent, they're going to win. And that's an educational merit-based system. It's just how it works. That teaches the loser, in this case, the student on the other side of the debate, to come back, to reassert their facts, their research, and to come back bigger and better than before. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Now, uh, James Fishback, I want to go off the beaten path here just for a second, because today Nikki Haley said she wasn't going to be debating. Uh, and this is in high school debate. This is presidential debate. But I want to get your thoughts yeah. on it since you're a debate pro. She says, I'm not debating anymore unless Trump comes to the debate. Uh, and I thought, ha, 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 that's very funny, right? Because <laughs> he figured out a long time ago, I'm not going to show up and I'm going to beat all of you guys. And, and I, I just find it very rich and kind of um, um, like, you know, she's just following suit. It, you know, it wasn't a very original idea of hers. Uh, what do you think? How, how do people respond to something like that? You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I was in Iowa yesterday and got to participate in the caucuses on behalf of Vivek, who are in a great campaign. Let me yeah, just say this, good. Rich. I don't. I don't see how Nikki Haley has now said this is a two-man race when she came in third. Uh, I, I respect. <laughs> I respect. I respect Governor DeSantis. I got the chance to speak alongside his lieutenant governor at the caucus in yeah. Ankeny, Iowa, uh, Iowa, Precinct Five. And let me say, I respect him. But it's time to end this primary. Vivek saw that last night. The America First message won big. If you combine President Trump's totals with Vivek, 60% of the voters are all in on America First. That is a resounding mandate. We've got to unify this movement under President Trump so we can win in November. And so I I couldn't honestly care less about what Nikki Haley does or does not do (laughs) uh, in New Hampshire this week. President Trump is going to be our nominee. And the, the more time we waste, Delaying the inevitable and trying to play games and waste resources, the harder it's going to for us to beat Biden and that Dem machine yeah. come November. James Fishback, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I want to make sure you come back one of these days. We'll have more discussion. Let everybody know how they could follow you and keep up to speed with what you're doing. Best place is actually incubatedebate.org. We're posting on there. We're posting great videos of our students and the debates they're having. And I'll tell you, Rich, if your listeners, we'd be honored to have their support at incubatedebate.org. Go check them out. Support them if you can. James Fishback, again, thank you very much. I appreciate you. And folks, we're coming right back. Your calls and more 
833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're going to start Open Phone America a little bit early tonight. So get your calls in. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome back. And, you know, during difficult times, people oftentimes, they turn to their faith, they, they go to church, they, they reach out to somebody. And there's a study out there that's showing a staggering 42% of pastors have considered quitting full-time ministry because they're burnt out. And that makes me think, geez, if, you know, if you're turning to the church and you're looking for that staff pastor, well, that pastor may not be there. And, um, you know, we've seen these these fights over over doctrine and uh, politics and the pandemic and all sorts of things that have um, entered the church. And we're seeing just burnout amongst pastors. Um, and I've seen it in my own church. Uh, and I wouldn't say my pastors are burnt out by any means, but I would say I've se- I think the, the parishioners are burnt out. Right. Because they've some of them just got used to life doing church online. And in many ways, I mean, I guess that was a, a uh, for some it was a blessing. But in reality, you know, when we're called to not forsake the assembly, it's because you're plugged in at church, right? You're meeting people, you're shaking hands, peace be with you, right? And and when you're not doing that, you're you're missing out on that critical part of fellowship. And I think we're seeing that uh, uh, across a lot of churches as well as um, people just aren't doing live church anymore. It's a, it's a thing to go digital. So I want to jump into this story just a little bit because I feel that uh, so many people are, are seeing this in one way or another across the country. And to do that, I want to bring in our guest, Dr. Mike Smalley. He's a Ph.D. in um, religion and theology, and he he's going to weigh in on this. Uh, Dr. Mike Smalley, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. So... When we when we look at a story like this, and when you see the the Gallup poll that shows forty two percent of pastors considering quitting full time ministry, and sixty seven percent of of adults say they attend church and other religious services uh, regularly while they were growing up, but only thirty one percent of them are still regularly attending today. Is is that part of the burnout? Is not enough people going to church or is it more than that? You know, it's a lot of the things that you mentioned earlier uh, in your opening, and, and certainly COVID certainly had a big big play in a lot of that. Uh, pastors got hit with a whammy with COVID, and they, you know, you had half their church or a percentage of the church that was mad at them for closing, and then a percentage of the church that was mad because they opened or they didn't close. Uh, then, you know, six, eight months down the road, you had the same kind of back-and-forth possibilities with uh, was the pastor pro-vaccine, was he against the vaccine, and, you know, you know, or would they make people wear masks, would they not make people wear masks? So that's been a recent part of the issue. And then the other thing that's hit uh, churches, I remember, because uh, I'm in a different church every week, just, you know, I've been doing this full-time for years, and all denominations and all sizes, and I remember when the, the ability, the technology came out for everybody to start doing their streaming on their services, and so 
you know, the larger churches started with it, and other churches were like, hey, we're we're going to do this. And, and this was way before the pandemic, but then I would so I'd talk to the same pastor six, eight months later, and they were like, well, you know, we kind of did this because it was a great way to reach people outside of our city. He goes, but now we're finding that, you know, we got a percentage of people now that just are staying home, you know, with the slightest yeah. little, you know, head cold because they can watch it online now. So, so pastors have had to get used to a lot of changes as other industries have as well, but COVID and technology certainly have been the, the last, uh, you know, two or three years of the butt kicker. Yeah, I agree. It almost makes you think like the more gimmicky your church is, the better, right? If you're into the laying of hands for healing or holy water or anything like that, you got to come in, folks. You got to come in. You're missing it if you're not here. And uh, and I say that well, tongue in cheek, right. but I, I realize that that's, that's a thing. And, and for so many people, um, uh, like I think, you know, there's a lot of storefront churches in New York that are very small uh, in, in very populated neighborhoods. And I think those churches always stay full. And the reason that they do is because people are going there for hope and uh, usually they're very destitute and watching a video online of, of a sermon just isn't going to do it for them. They, they want to hear that word of encouragement. They want sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so to, you know, throw their arm on their shoulder and say, hey, look, it's going to be all right. Or, hey, I noticed you or whatever. Or, you know, I heard about a job that, you know, it might be a good fit for you. And none of that stuff's happening if you're not uh, actually plugged into the church. Now, from yeah, I, you're I so correct. You, yeah, I'm just wondering, like with this study, uh, or basically, really, uh, I'm I'm digging into your um, your expertise here. Uh, what are they doing when 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 somebody who's called to the ministry says, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna not be a minister anymore, and I'm gonna go do what? What are they What are they leaving for? Because it's hard enough to get a full time ministry gig." Yeah, well, one of the things you have to keep in mind, too, on these studies, and I look at them, too, real, you know, in depth, and you know, they're, they're across the board multi-denominations. And so, as you have, you know, the wokeism, and not only in our culture, but hitting, hitting churches and mainline denominations, you've got a shockingly large number of, of, of ministries uh, in some of the older denominations, like Presbyterian, Lutheran, et cetera, when you pull the ministers and ask them basic questions like, do you believe in the virgin birth and, you know, even the resurrection and some of the basic tenets of Christianity, a higher and higher percentage say they do not. Um, well, and so crazy. when you start looking at that, you've got people in some cases uh, who are just there for a job. It's just a religious job. And when you when you jump into that, uh, that's got a whole level of stress to it and attacks that, you know, just a lot of guys just say after a couple of years, I'm out, I'm done. The other thing that's, that's hit pastors that they all have to realize is that they're they're, they're Christians first and ministers second. So mm-hmm. they still have to have their own time in the scriptures, in the word, you know, at the feet of the Lord in their own prayer time. And as guys allow themselves to get torn and busy and scheduled here and there, that sometimes gets put on the back burner even for preachers. And so they're walking kind of into uh, the ring, if you will, without their own preparation being done. So the first thing that has to happen is everything rises and falls on the preacher. It just, everything rises and falls on that pulpit. So that preacher has to take care of himself so that he has fresh bread to put on the table for the other people. And what you mentioned about New York is so true that there's just no substitute for the presence of God among the people of God. So when you're there, shaking hands, hugging a neck, seeing a smile, you know, there's just no substitute for it. And so more and more people see that. And it's great to you know, you're, you had to work one Sunday, but you got to catch the replay on your phone later. That's an awesome thing. 
but there's never going to be a substitute for the scripture that you mentioned earlier, which is forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And the scripture mm-hmm. actually closes off with saying, and so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So, so the call for pastors today is to actually increase the amount of time that we get together, not subtract from it, which is kind of the trend of what you're seeing right now. Yeah, really well put. And uh, I, I want I want to ask you one more question because I feel like there's there's a n- not a lot of discussion on this topic, and and you seem to be in the thick of it. Uh, but you mentioned earlier about wokeism, things like that, that are infiltrating the church, and and, and I would um, submit to you that I think that there are certain churches that are leading the way on on these issues and that perhaps some of the people that are just taking a job and may not believe, like you said, in the virgin birth or, or, um, you know, uh, other fundamental tenets of Christianity, that maybe this was their mission, right? Their mission was to go in there and to be political, to, to drive a particular agenda. I I know that we've seen a huge uh, rift for many years in, um, in, uh, is it Presbyterian USA or reform? One of them had a big split recently and it's gotten even bigger. Um, what, what, what can you tell me in that regard? You know, there's a lot of that, that, that has been coming on really since the seventies, just, you know, increases over time, everything umbrellas, all of those issues of of verbalism or wokeism, et cetera, they all umbrella back under one issue. That's the inerrancy of the scripture belief. If you, if you believe the scripture is inerrant, uh, then that's a whole other belief system from well, the Bible's a nice book, but we can pick and choose what we like, et cetera. And so mm. uh, the Bible's been you know, has so clear on where we are to stand on certain issues. And so when it's that clear, you have to come in, and if you've got another viewpoint that's really radical from that, the only option is to say, well, maybe the book's not true after all. And the most dangerous person in your life is always the person who puts a question mark over the Scripture. That's where, that's where it all goes south from there. When you stand on what the Scripture teaches— you can thrive. And I think the main thing for pastors today, and as you see polls like this coming out, it can be discouraging in the natural thing. Just look at the numbers. But the bottom line is, is that if they do and we do what we're supposed to do, like Mexican food restaurants don't do well serving Italian food. They're supposed to be Mexican restaurants. So when people get their family out of bed on Sunday morning and drive to church, they don't want to hear what they could hear at their business luncheon you know, a self-help talk two days before. They want to hear a word from the Lord. So if pastors will just go right back to keeping the main thing the main thing, put fresh bread on the table, give the hope of the gospel, lay hands on the sick, do what Jesus told us to do, there'll be no problems. When we start trying to mix all the cute stuff with that is when it goes south. Yeah, I, I agree with that uh, 100%. Um Doc, I want you to stick with me, if you can, for a couple more minutes. I want to to uh, play a clip of audio for you when we come back from this quick pause. Uh, I want to get your reaction to it, and and I want to see if, you know, is this the end of the church? Is it the beginning of revival? I don't know. You'll tell me. Folks, we're on with Dr. Mike Smalley, Ph.D., and we're discussing burnout in the church. And now you're thinking, there's burnout everywhere. But oftentimes we don't realize that there's burnout in the church as well. We're talking about that, plus your calls and more are coming right up. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back, amigos. We're on with Dr. Mike Smalley. He's one of America's most dynamic and sought-after speakers. Uh, he's been a preacher since he was a teenager and uh, been serving in full-time ministry ever since. He's helped start 64 churches all around the world in Africa and Central America, and uh, he's with us now. Dr. Mike Smalley, uh, there's been a lot of talk in, in various denominations, and there, there, there's even some churches that are, I would say, not even churches, right, pseudo-churches that have, um, forgive me for using this term, uh, but they, they prostitute the gospel for their own benefit. And recently there was something going viral online called the Sparkle Creed, and um, several uh, Internet activists uh, and uh, influencers in uh, the faith that they claim is Christianity— we're, we're bringing attention to this, saying things like God is trans and, and just all sorts of really interesting, um, blasphemous, uh, heretical type of things. I want you to hear a clip and I want to get your reaction. I invite you to rise in body or spirit and let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. Dr. Mike Smalley, I hear this, and, and what goes through my mind is um, be angry but sin not. And I don't want to be judgmental, and I don't want to be mean, but that's honestly the reaction that, that bubbles to the surface. What's your thought on this? Yeah, boy, it's a classic example of the stuff we've been talking about tonight, isn't it? it it's it, it's funny, but yet, but it's not because it's so tragic and so sad. But mm. you know, the second of the Ten Commandments is not to make a graven image and worship it. In Western world, we kind of think that okay, well, I'm not worshiping a statue or you know uh, an image, so I'm not violating that. But that basically means that we don't create a god in our own image and then worship that god. That that's just a little clip as an exact replica of somebody saying, you know, "This is what my god is. Uh, he's not binary. He's had two dads. He's this, you know." And so you create a god that you're comfortable with and you worship that one. And we're all, we all have the ability to do that. The problem is it's not the God of the scripture. So, you know, everything, like I said before, always comes back to the scripture. And that's what we just have to keep bringing to people week after week. It's what changes them. It's where the power of God is. And, uh, but what you played is a, you know, real small minority, but a growing uh, minority of, of, you know, kind of a liberal church viewpoint 
But, you know, the, that kind of stuff, when, when, when stuff like COVID hits, when Israel goes to war, when, when, the, when, when stuff gets rough here, that's the kind of stuff people run away from in 10 seconds, and they go right back to that congregation, like you mentioned earlier, that's still preaching the truth, loving people while they do it, and that's the, that's the message that's going to have to resonate. Mm. Well said. Uh, Dr. Mike Smoley, let everybody know how they can learn more about you and support the work you're doing. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Richard. It's, uh, the website's mikesmalley.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook under Dr. Mike Smalley, and uh, would love to help anybody that we could. Amen to that. Well, sir, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I thank you for being here tonight and sharing some words of wisdom. I appreciate it. Thank you for all you do, Rich. Bless you so much. Amen. You too. Folks, we're coming back, amigos. We're going to get to your calls with Open Phone America and a whole lot more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, we are back, and we're about to kick off the third and final hour of the program, Open Phone America, where you guys get to call in and weigh in on everything we're talking about. Uh, we've had a lot of discussion tonight from the Houthi rebels to the the uh, big win uh, in Iowa by former President Trump to uh, ministers deciding to step away from their jobs in the church because they're burnt out and free speech being attacked in a debate society. And just so much going on in the news. There was a, what they're calling a swatting at the White House. And I want to get your thoughts on all of that stuff. We're going to get into also what happened with all those broken Teslas in Chicago. We'll get to that when we come back. But right now, I want to hit the phones. Let's go to John, Vero Beach, Florida, WTTB. John, go right ahead. Uh, yes, thank you, Rich, for getting the truth out to us patriots here in America. Yes, sir. God thank you. you. God bless you. Yes, I wanted to say uh, I know of a reverend who runs a small academy in Philadelphia, and uh, he works on a sliding-scale fee for the very poor. And uh, he is, because he wouldn't go along with his woke agenda and stuff in his academy, he's being set upon by the IRS. He's being set upon by the uh, local authorities, the politic, politicians, uh, through they're using building inspectors in every way they can, constantly being audited, uh, over little things like the heating system in the place, anything they can do to try to shut them down financially. Wow. No wonder the, the pastors are dropping by the wayside. Yeah, they, you know what? It, it, makes, it makes all the sense in the world. It's wrong, obviously, but it, it's, it's wrong, and I've seen it happen before, whether it's folks in the church or anybody. Um, I, my buddy who I often reference on this program who ran the Cuban restaurant where he used to get my coffee every day, um, somebody started competing against him and called the health department on him, making a bunch of false claims. And lucky for him, he used to have 
most of those inspectors as clients at his restaurant. So, A, they were familiar with the restaurant, and B, when that happened, they said, look, you didn't hear from me. <laughs> but uh, so-and-so just opened up a place not too far away, and he started saying X, Y, and Z about you, and he knew the whole scoop right from the horse's mouth. And that's uh, lamentably how some people do it. Usually they're communist sympathizers. But, hey, what do I know? Anyway, John, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Godspeed to your buddy. Hopefully his academy goes well. Shout out to everybody in Vero Beach on WTTB. And stick around. Open Phone America starts right now. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the third hour of the program. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ is the phone number. And again, uh, Trump winning 98 of 99 counties in Iowa, Losing only one county by one single vote. Think about that. One person would have given him uh, the full Grassley, as they call it. Um, big, big, uh, big victory for Trump. Let's uh, let's continue to follow that as it goes into New Hampshire. We had Trump's pollster, John McLaughlin, on last night. And he said that right now they're polling at two to one. Trump winning by two to one. So uh, that sounds terrific. Uh, if, if that is accurate, as was um, the predictions that they had for New Hampshire, looks like Trump is going to continue to sail his way straight to the nomination. And uh, everything seems to be indicating that. The question becomes, what happens with Nikki Haley? What happens with Ron DeSantis? And if you're a Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis supporter, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, they've, they've all been uh, invited and and have not accepted any invitation to come on this program. I have no ill will towards either of them. I know some people have uh, completely flipped on Nikki Haley saying they don't like her. I may not agree with uh, uh, some of her positions, but uh, I, I think Nikki Haley's a, a nice person. And I've spoken with her in the past, and I think she's nice. And uh, I'm not going to treat her badly. If she wants to come on the program, she can do that. Uh, I just don't think she wants to. And uh, Ron DeSantis, I mean, how many more invitations can I make? to America's governor, Ron DeSantis. Um, the closest we got was they said, no, we'll, we'll, um, our lieutenant governor can join you. And I graciously welcomed her because I'm not here to, to be picky and choosy, right? I, I'm here to bring their message to you and to ask the questions that uh, hopefully you think are pertinent. And, you know, I put this on DeSantis and I say, hey, you know, if you don't want to speak with this audience, one of the, probably the largest in, in this time slot at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, uh, five million plus listeners, <clears throat> closer to six million on on Monday nights and Tuesday nights, and you know when it's uh, the beginning of the week. That's that's on them, right? We're still having our late night national conversation, 
and uh, Ron DeSantis is arguing with people and being ridiculed in Iowa and other places he's going. And uh, I'd love for him to come on here and set the record straight, but it doesn't seem like it's in the cards. So if you're a supporter of Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley and you want to make the case on their behalf, sure. I, I welcome you to the, to the phones. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. <clears throat> now, there's an interesting story coming out of Chicago. Chicago. Now, I saw it this morning, and it, what caught my eye was the image on it, and I shared it on Twitter as soon as I saw it. It's uh, a guy wearing one of those, uh, you know, like traffic yellow vest type of things, but it's like a hooded sweatshirt. But what's interesting is he's pushing a broken-down Tesla. And if you look in the background of the photo, there's a tow truck, and on both sides, there are nothing but broken-down Teslas. And apparently there was a Chicago-area charging station where a whole bunch of vehicles uh, broke because the freezing temperatures made their batteries fail. And that's it. It was just a sea of broken Teslas. Yep. Anyway, we have a report on that. Listen to this. Electric cars may be the way of the future, but it's clear there are some problems when it comes to charging them in Chicago's deep freeze. Oh, we got a bunch of dead robots out here. Dead robots. (laughs) Dead Teslas packed the parking lot at this Tesla supercharging station in Oak Brook, a scene mirrored at other supercharging stations around the Chicago area. Man, this is crazy. It's, it's, it's a disaster. Seriously. With temperatures falling into the negative double digits, these charging ports have stopped charging, leaving many Tesla owners stranded here in long lines since Sunday. Nothing, no juice. It's still on zero percent. And this is like three hours this morning being out here after being out here eight hours yesterday. Has it been charging? No, not at all. It just isn't working. At all. It's just frozen. And so I'm now getting it towed to the um, Tesla service center because that's my only option at this point. (laughs) Adding to their frustration, they say, is that they're getting no help when they call Tesla for assistance. These are unusually cold temperatures, but do you find this acceptable? No, not at all. Not really. I I think it's less on the actual vehicle and more on the infrastructure. An automobile expert we talked to said that the owners of all EVs should hit the battery preconditioned button on their car before attempting to charge it in extremely cold weather. In Oak Brook, Dane Placco, Fox 32 Chicago. So that Chicago area Tesla charging station was lined with dead cars. You heard the quote there, a bunch of dead robots out here. And this is going on all over Chicago and the Midwest because there's a deep freeze going on. Um, Count Delacula, who's in our control room, just checked the weather. They're at three degrees right now in Chicago, which is a lot warmer than it was last night for the um, caucuses in Iowa, where it was minus 20, 20 below zero. Crazy. Anyway, these Tesla owners were really desperate to get their cars going. I could only imagine where, you know, it's cold. Listen, it was was cold here, too. It was 29 degrees uh, today here on the East Coast, and I had icicles hanging off of my my door handles when I opened uh, my rear lift gate on my truck. Uh, All you heard was ice cracking. It was cold. This was the first snow we've had. We had about two inches of snow, uh, first big snow we've had. And, And big snow, I mean, any snow. We haven't really had any snow. And it was cold out there, and the roads were a little slick for a minute. But very manageable, and if this is the worst of it, I'll take it all day, every day. I might not move to Miami if, if winters always are like this. But um, I don't think that's the case. 
But uh, my car worked, worked just fine. Used all that gasoline that I pump into it. It worked terrific. Uh, these poor Tesla people. And, you know, I was just during the break, I was telling uh, Mr. Hinton, who's also in our control room, that I really wanted to buy the, um, the full-size sedan Tesla. I don't know if that's called the Model X or the Model S, but um, big one, very luxury-looking, really nice car. And I, I was very tempted to buy one. Uh, I just, you know, seeing stories like this is what deters me, where I think, you know, I, I, it gets cold here. It doesn't always get to minus three, but every now and again it does. And just imagine, you know, you're out. I'm out with my, let's uh, say, on-again, off-again girlfriend. And I'm like, hey, baby, let me pick you up in my cool electric car. And then, all right, hey, baby, let, help me push this thing to the charging station at the Wawa. Or, you know, I, just who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. That just sounds crazy to me. So if you have an electric car and you have an electric car story, I'd love to hear about it because I, I don't know anything about this. And this uh, is no good. I mean, there's one guy. His name is Tyler. He's listed in this article here, and Fox Chicago reported this, saying nothing, no juice, still 0%. This guy's been trying to recharge his Tesla at the uh, Oak Brook, uh, Illinois station that they mentioned that report uh, since Sunday afternoon. And he said this is like three hours being out here for three hours. That's crazy, right? So imagine that, three hours, your car doesn't turn on, you can't even get heat. Not good, no bueno. Anyway. I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys on this and anything else we've discussed tonight. The phone number, again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. My hands across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, I want you to take a break from pushing your broken down Tesla. Let it thaw out for a second because of the freezing freezing temperatures. And um, I want you to listen to this story. This is uh, reported by the UK Guardian. And a guy named Joseph Fritzel, this guy's applied for release from prison into a nursing home. Now, this is a wild, horrific story. His lawyer says that this guy raped and imprisoned his own daughter for 24 years. But now he's no longer dangerous. Fritzel is the Australian man who, again, raped and incarcerated his own daughter in a prison that he built beneath his home and he kept her there for 24 years not only did he rape her but he fathered children with her as well and now he's applying for release from jail according to his lawyer he's 88 years old and he wants to be moved to a nursing home his lawyer's name is astrid wagner and if she's successful in this appeal he'll get out of jail and end up in a nursing home 
He's an electrical engineer, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment back in 2009 for the rape, incest, and incarceration of his own daughter and the seven children that she had with him, one of whom was deemed by the court to have been killed by Fritzel after he failed to get medical help for that child. Wagner said that a recent psychiatric report on Fritzel ruled that he no longer posed a threat to society. A court could decide to move him to a normal prison, but Wagner said that Fritzel, who has dementia, should be allowed to spend his remaining days in uh, a, a care home. She said she has applied for his conditional discharge. Now, this case came to light back in 08 when his daughter, Elizabeth Fritzel, managed to communicate with the police that she was holding, she was being held captive by her dad. At that time, she was 42 years old. So from 18 years old to 42 years old, this guy locked up his own daughter and then began raping her and having children with her. The abuse started at the age of 11 years old. Just imagine that. Wow, what a monster. This guy, Fritzel, he lured uh, his daughter into the cellar and he built a Cold War kind of bunker that's pretty uh, popular in Austrian homes. And when she was 18, snatched her up, threw away the key. He told his wife and family acquaintances that she'd run away to join a cult. His crimes were first revealed when a child of hers became critically ill, and he took both of them to the hospital where authorities appealed uh, to the mother to come forward. He He released her from the prison to present herself to them, and she managed to tip them off about her situation. Now, Mr. Fritzel is being held in a high-security unit for mentally disturbed patients at the Stein Prison in Kerms, northeast Austria. Under Austrian law, prisoners are potentially eligible for conditional release after 15 years. In Fritzel's case, this would be last year in 2023. The, uh, the media in Austria and uh, the court uh, psychiatrist described him as extremely psychologically abnormal and emotionally illiterate. But now they've come to the conclusion in a 28-page report that he's no longer dangerous. She describes him now as suffering from dementia, physically frail, and in need of uh, a walking frame to move about like a walker. So his lawyer, Ms. Wagner, she's been visiting him in prison. She's visited 40 times, and she wrote a book about him, and it's called The Abyss of Joseph F. And she said, uh, based on the report, it's considered legitimate to allow his release. She wouldn't be frightened of moving in with him in an apartment share arrangement herself, she says, or to live alongside him in a nursing home because he no longer possesses a sex drive. Isn't that something? So since you're, you know, fascinating, right? So let's say you, you rob somebody and then we chop your arms off. And, all right, well, you got no arms, so this guy's no longer capable of stealing. Who says? Right? Who says this guy can't be a monster with his hands or anything else? He's not a monster because he has a sex drive. He's a monster because he's a monster. I very much doubt that his rape and incest had anything to do with sexual attraction. Right? Most rapists don't rape because they're attracted sexually to someone. It's about power. It's about hurting someone. Anyway, in an interview with the uh, German tabloid, 
uh, known as Build, B-I-L-D. She described how he spent his days watching television in his cell, uh, taking a suntan every now and again through the bars of his window and working out. Oh, a model citizen. Raping monster man. Anyway, the regional court uh, says that they're going to reach a decision in the coming weeks. So I'm interested in knowing your thoughts on this. Should this guy be eligible for parole? Not really parole, but um, a conditional release to a nursing home. 88 years old, and he raped his own daughter and kept her captive for 24 years. I think if there's ever somebody eligible for lock him up, throw away the key like he tried to do to his daughter and let him die and rot in jail, this would be that guy. But yet they say, no, I would share an apartment with this guy. No, he's, a, he's not a threat to anybody. He's got no sex drive. Is that the point? That he has no sex drive, so it's okay? Because somebody, I thought you, you rotting in jail is a penalty. I don't know, am I too, too harsh here? Let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. If you want to drop them online, feel free. I'd prefer if you called because that is um, what we're doing right now, and it's live, and we can have that conversation here. And I'm really interested in hearing uh, whether you think this guy should be eligible to just go to a nursing home and torment, you know, your grandmother who might be in the nursing home room next to him or sharing a room or who knows what the arrangement is. I think this guy's nutso, and uh, he can't be trusted, but I want to know your thoughts. Plus, I want to get into some other stuff. There's a few other crazy stories that are out there tonight. <clears throat> we have, uh, let me see. Uh, the Republican debate was canceled. It was going to be this Thursday. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. Hunter Guy, Hunter Biden, uh, he's always in the news. His contempt charges were put on hold. I wonder why. We'll find out more in a little bit. Chuck Grassley was hospitalized um, for an infection. Let me see here. World's oldest dog. Huh, maybe we'll do that a little bit later. But, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, getting your reaction on this. Plus, I got a couple of more tricks up my sleeve. Some interesting audio that you haven't heard as well. So keep it locked right here. Don't go anywhere. And always, if you missed any of our interviews and you want to check out those interviews, go to the website, richvaldesamericaatnight.com. Richvaldesamericaatnight.com is the website. And when you're there, you can stream any one of the shows. Uh, they're all archived there by the guest's name. You could read through the description if you don't know who the guest is and see what they're talking about and learn more about that. You can also subscribe to the podcast through whichever podcast uh, system you use. So, for example, I have an Apple, an iPhone. <clears throat> I use uh, Apple Podcasts. I subscribe through there, but some people prefer to use Google Podcasts or others. Um, you use whatever you like to use. Some people like um, iHeartRadio on their platform. Go for it. We're on all of them, and you can uh, listen to the show absolutely free. Subscriptions are free. You just got to sign it up to your phone. And if you don't want to subscribe to anything, you could just go to the website and hit play and hear whatever you want whenever you want to hear it. Listen on demand. Anyway, folks, again, the number 833-482-5337-8334. Valdez is the phone number. Looking forward to chatting with you and sharing a couple of more things with you straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So on the heels of the big uh, Trump victory last night in Iowa, uh, Nikki Haley has been speaking out. Of course, she came in third place behind Governor DeSantis and President Trump. And Nikki Haley says absolutely not that this is a two-person race. And I think she was referring to herself, but it seems like if it's going to be a two-person race, it's Trump and DeSantis, or even better, Trump and Biden. But I don't see how it becomes Trump and Nikki Haley. Listen to this. When you look at how we're doing in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, and beyond. I can safely say tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Tonight, tonight, I will be back in the great state of New Hampshire. And the question before Americans is now very clear. Do you want more of the same? Do you want a new generation of conservative leadership? All right, Nikki Haley saying, do you want a new generation of conservative leadership? The crowd going crazy. And I think that's because they're thinking the conservative leadership is coming from El Trompito. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily thinking it's coming from her, but we shall see. Uh, She went on. She was having a discussion with Dana Bash from CNN. And um, this was earlier today. And saying, listen, she is not going to participate in any debates unless uh, DeSantis, um, uh, Trump rather, with DeSantis, unless Trump shows up. Listen to this. You said this morning there have been five debates in the Republican primary so far. And the next one you do will either be against Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Just to put a finer point on it, you're not going to do a debate here in New Hampshire unless Donald Trump is on the stage. I mean, that's who I'm running against. That's who I want. That's at the end of the day. He's the front runner. He's the one that I'm seven points away from. He's the one that we're fighting for. There is nobody else I need to debate. I have had five strong debates and have done plenty of them. He can't hide forever. At some point, he's got to get on a debate. Have you told ABC put out a statement saying that uh, they want you to tell them officially by five o'clock today. Have you already done that? They are very aware that I've said, is Donald Trump going to be on that stage? They don't need to be asking me. They need to be asking him. Mm-hmm. If he's on that stage, I'm there. Well, Nikki Haley, you've gotten your wish, sort of. ABC News has canceled the Republican presidential debate uh, that was going to happen on Thursday in New Hampshire because, well, guess what? You said you didn't want to go and Trump isn't going. What was Ron DeSantis going to do? Talk about himself? Uh, The cancellation comes after former President Trump's blowout victory in the Iowa caucuses over his rivals, Ron DeSantis and former uh, U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Haley said that she would not participate in any future debates uh, that are not attended by Trump. He skipped the first five debates leading up to Monday night's caucus wins in Iowa 
DeSantis said he was prepared to debate Haley or Trump and has repeatedly accused both candidates of trying to hide from the voters. And let's see, here's a quote from ABC News saying, Our intent was to host a debate coming out of the Iowa caucuses, but we always knew that would be contingent on the candidates and the outcome of the race. And that's according to ABC News spokesperson uh, earlier today saying, as a result, while our robust election coverage is going to continue, ABC News and WMUR-TV will not be moving forward with Thursday's Republican presidential primary debate in New Hampshire. The debate and uh, everything else was slated for Thursday. It was going to be moderated by David Muir and Lindsey Davis. Now, the ratings for each of the first of the five debates have steadily tapered. Hmm. No kidding. As Trump has uh, solidified his status as the front runner in the race, more candidates are dropping out um, and deciding not to challenge him. The New Hampshire Republican primary is slated for next Tuesday, January 23rd. And we're going to see what happens. Right. I, I I'm my prediction. Trump uh, walks away winning this one, too. And if I had to guess, I'd say Nikki Haley's not going to come in second. Uh, but maybe she will. Who knows? She won the governorship there. Maybe she's still popular, but I just don't I don't see it happening. And again, there is it's not a caucus, right? It's a primary. So I don't think there really is a second place for her. But just based on on the scores, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, who comes in where. But I, I think this is Trump's uh, to lose, as they say. And I don't think he's going to lose. So that's that story. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more when we return. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who, again, will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So the media is having a meltdown over Donald Trump, El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente. And uh, they don't want you to hear what he has to say. Last night, Rachel Maddow, in addition to all the scowls and all the other, um, you know, um, um, pouting that was going on on MSNBC, she uh, also said, look, um, we've made the decision to not broadcast his speech because we think he's a liar. And that's. That's the new thing, right? You know, uh, when Al Sharpton lies, nobody cares to censor him. When uh, when everybody, I mean, you name it, um, Al Gore, there's all sorts of liars out there. And nobody's, no, no, uh, just imagine Fox News saying, you know what, we think Joe Biden's a liar. And because he's a liar, we're not going to broadcast his speech. People would be up in arms. But nope, that seems to be something that's congratulated and celebrated when it comes to the left and MSNBC. 
Listen to Rachel Maddow. Check this out. At this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is, of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision. But there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. Isn't that fascinating? In the history of news, who else have they, have they ever done this to? Just imagine, uh, I don't know, Charles Manson, the son of Sam, you name it, some serial killer somewhere. Uh, I don't know, the, uh, the mullahs, the Ayatollah. Anybody who was just a mass killer saying no, well, even Vladimir Putin, when he says no, because this is whatever, and the Ukraine is doing this against us. And that's the whole point of news is for people to take different perspectives and for you to go and report it. You don't have to decide it. You don't have to do anything else. You just have to report it. So now they're saying, listen, you, the listener of MSNBC, as a news organization, we can't allow you to make up your own mind as to what you determine to be true or not. We can't allow you to even hear what former President Trump, the winner of the Iowa caucuses, has to say. We can't allow that. We will determine what he's saying, and if there is newsworthiness to it, then we'll tell you what he said. This is fundamentally what gave birth to the Protestant Reformation, where Martin Luther said, look, everybody should be able to read the Bible. You shouldn't uh, have you know, certain uh, folks with sacerdotal privilege, um, priests and whatnot, that are the only people that can read the Bible in German or Latin or whatever language it was in, and everybody else kind of gets uh, left out unless someone's reading it to them in, in a sermon or something like that. And in effect, that's what we have here now. What, what was the result of that, right? The uh, 95 Theses, the, the um, uh, collection of works by Martin Luther, he nailed them to the front of the church door and started this, uh, this protest movement known as the Protestant Reformation. And voila, a whole a whole branch of a religion was born. Do you think that's going to happen here? I do. I think you're going to have an entire movement born of this because that movement's already alive and well. It's known as Make America Great Again. And when Rachel Maddow stands in the way of us hearing the lies or the truth or whatever, just his statement and being able to decide for ourselves with Rachel Maddow deciding that I don't possess the level of uh, intelligence or maturity to go ahead and make my own decision as to what is going on. I, I got to tell you, I'm insulted by that, Rachel Maddow. I think that's ridiculous. Anyway, um, let me uh, go to the phones. Let's see what our callers have to say. Let's go to Sue, Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. Sue, what's on your mind? Yeah, I wanted to weigh in on this Joseph Fritzl thing. That you crazy know, kidnapper remember- who was raping his own kid? His daughter, yeah. You know, like, I remember when this happened, I remember seeing pictures of this catacomb that he had her living in under the house. You know, he's only been in jail since 2009, and that's only like 14 years. He had her captive for 24 years. 
he needs to at least be in jail that long. I'm sorry, I don't care if he's 88. And those children, they were, you know, they had all kinds of health problems because they were underground. They didn't see the sunshine. You know, where was their vitamin D, whatever, you know, I mean, it was horrendous. And honestly, uh, the idea of letting him out is just crazy. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you 100 uh, percent. The fact that this guy wasn't sentenced to death uh, when they said one of these kids died because he didn't get a medical care is even that's a stretch for me. So I'm thinking if you get to at least live, then you got to live the rest of your days as a prisoner, just like you did to this woman who happened to be your own blood. Um, yeah, totally crazy. Austria doesn't have a death penalty, so I guess the only thing that they could do is put you in jail for life. But they seem to be very liberal with that, Sue. Now, let's um, get your reaction to Rachel Maddow saying, look, you can't listen to Trump because, you know, we, we think he's a liar. Your well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I love that they're having a meltdown. I really do. I can't tell you how happy I was. And I, and I was listening to your show, too. And, and I could hear the glee in your voice as well. You know, the only thing that could make me happier than what happened in Iowa with Trump is when he wins the general this November. I mean, you know, these people are spinning. I, they don't know what to do. And I'm also suspicious of John Kerry suddenly deciding to, you know, come back to the mothership or whatever. What have they got up their sleeves there? You know, what does yeah. he think he's going to do? I, I just really I, I'm very suspicious of that whole thing. But no, well, maybe they're know, looking for so somebody scared. who's good at losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, some, and someone who's got a face like a catcher's mitt, too. Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Sue, thank you for the call. I appreciate your insight. And uh, I agree with you there as well. Um, Godspeed to you, folks. We're going to continue with your calls and more. Uh, there's a little bit more from CNN, MSNBC and the crazy lefties. Uh, wanting to censor Trump and just not even carry his speech uh, last night. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We're going to seal up the border. Because right now we have an invasion. We have an invasion of millions and millions of people that are coming into our country. I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing. Donald Trump declaring victory with a historically strong showing in the Iowa caucuses if these numbers hold. 
The biggest victory for a non-incumbent president in the modern era for this contest. A relatively subdued speech as these things go so far, although here he is right now under under my voice. You hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Uh, he did take time to praise his rivals, Haley and DeSantis and Ramaswamy by name. Rather un-Trump like to do that. Uh, gracious, but perhaps a sign of some message discipline, at least for one night. <laughs> there you have Jake Tapper again giving as much... Um, as much commentary, as much editorializing as he could possibly give, rather um Trump-like to do that. And again, listen, uh, I think Jake Tapper um, presents himself as a news anchor. <clears throat> if I'm wrong, if he's uh, solely um, um, an opinion host, an analyst, then great. Go right ahead. You're doing a great job. Um, I-, I never hold myself out to be a journalist of any kind. Um, all I do is give opinion and... Um, try to entertain and inform, but that's my, my purpose. And I think he holds himself out as a journalist and journalists don't typically say things like what he just said, because it casts uh, aspersions, if you will. But that's Jake Tapper on CNN again, cutting away from the Trump speech because you hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Let's go to the phones. What say you? Let's go to Lance Galloway, New Jersey, W O N D Lance, go right ahead. Thank you, Rich, for taking my call and for yes, taking sir. everybody that calls in ever since you took over uh, from the dear Jim Bohannon. But in all fairness, it's not I you you made me laugh when you were telling me that the that MSNBC, CNN and all the left wing uh, Democratic uh, satellites of uh, newscasts mm-hmm. are trying to like. Not it's no longer fake news or phony news. I, I'm calling it chat news. S H A T. Surreal hip- hypocrisy. Always talking, and that's <laughs> what they're doing. They're censoring us, and so they're full of chat. And yeah. that's the only way I can <laughs> see it. And that way, people don't have to listen. It's it's sort of like going to a vending machine. You put your money in. You look at the thing you want. You push the button. And it comes out. That's what that's what freedom of choice is when you listen. That's why people mostly say, thank you for taking my call. But, I mean, when somebody is behind a desk and is being a, a muckraker or an influencer or basically someone that's a little bit so smug and, 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 and horrific in trying to insult people, and they try to do it like with their fashionable either makeup or whatever sets mm-hmm. they do, it, but it is shat news, surreal hypocrisy, always talking. I think and that's so clever, Lance. I, I think you're you're spot on with that. And you know what kills me is the um, how they think that you're not good enough, smart enough, uh, mature enough to come up with your, your own assessment of what Trump has to say. Why not listen and say not interested? I, you know why? Because I I think I said this to you before. Sometimes there's an art in listening. You have to be an active listener. You have to look at this person speaking, and you can't have a cell phone in your hand or look for some monitor to give you clues or where to look or what to say. But the bottom line is all of those people, sometimes you don't need to get into a conversation to be learned. Again, all I could say, certain people on on the newscast. I recommend a closed mouth gathers no feet. 
Amen to that. Lance, thank you so much. America, thank you. Good night and God bless. Hasta la próxima, which will be mañana. I'll be back with you guys on the next one. Don't go anywhere. More shows after me. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.